It is Thursday, January 25th, 2024, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellum. I'm Matthew Moore. Today, the problem and a unique solution for affordable housing in Bentonville. When I made job offers to, to personnel and they accepted the offers, and then they looked at housing and had to decline the offer. Plus, a conversation with the new dean of the Walton College of Business. This means a lot to me personally. Um, this, the Walton College and the University of Arkansas have been a huge part of my life. And the latest production at Theater Squared is pretty timely. I have never worked on a show where every morning I wake up and I look at the newspaper and go, oh my gosh, that article, that article, that article, that article, that article are all discussing what is going on in this play. Before that, the latest roundup of news from NPR. KUAF is supported by Arsega's drive through location at 1509 MLK in Fayetteville. Open 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. with a full coffee menu, espresso options, seasonal drink, and small foods menu. Arsegas.com or Facebook for more information. This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, January 25th, 2024. I'm Matthew Moore. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF Public Radio. Ahead on today's show, a conversation with the new dean of the Walton College of Business at the University of Arkansas. Paul Gatling brings us the latest Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report in our second half hour. First today, a story about education and affordable housing in Bentonville. Kelly Carlson ran for school board after his daughter's kindergarten year in the Bentonville School District. Her first-year teacher that was hired two weeks before school uh, started, got, went into the, the classroom that was used as a storage room, was setting it up. The impact that she had on my daughter's education uh, as she launched into the school system was so meaningful to my family that that's what got me engaged in the, as a school board member. He first ran for school board in 2019 and now serves as the board president. And he says one of his top priorities for the school is striving for all students to have that same kind of impactful experience with their teachers. Debbie Jones is the superintendent of Bentonville Schools, and she says that recruiting the best teachers to come to her schools is paramount. When I made job offers to, to personnel and they accepted the offers and then they looked at housing and had to decline the offer. And I thought, this is real. This is a real problem. We're, it's becoming a problem now, but it's only going to increase in the future. Jones has no illusions about the city. We are the most expensive place to live. We have to be the highest paying, and the board has supported the efforts in increasing our wages. And it's not just teachers, it's bus drivers, it's all of our services, our custodial services and our cafeteria services, because every single one of those services, it has to be present for us to provide services to families or it doesn't function. You know, it really became clear to me during the pandemic, and I know everyone had this experience. You want to go get something to eat somewhere, and you realize, oh, they're closed. They're closed because they don't have staff. But schools can't do that. We have to be open. We have to run buses. We have to pick up children. We have to do that safely. And so we have to seek solutions to be able to hire enough staff to run our district. Bentonville is consistently one of the highest-paying school districts in the state. Last year, they had a 6.5% increase in pay. And yet, for teachers and support staff, it's still challenging to find a place to live within Bentonville. 
Jones says they didn't have a solution at first, just a problem. So she went to a go-to partner of theirs, Accelerate Foundation. In the past, when I've been faced with a challenge from a staff member, they can't make their rent cost or they had some catastrophe in their family and uh, they may need counseling or something like that, all I could do was say, well, you have this for your insurance until we partnered with Accelerate on the HARC. They administer that. And so if there's any need, it could be paying for extra schooling or something like that. If a staff member has a need, they can now go through Accelerate for the HARC program. And they've been very diligent every year about giving me direct feedback. This is how many of your staff we served this year. So it has been really an employee benefit program for me. She went to Accelerate with this new problem, and together they landed on a novel concept, build affordable housing on school property. The school district would donate nine acres of land, six of which can be developed into a few different housing options. 60 apartments in the middle, which are low-income housing, which would have to be open based upon income because LIHTC funds would be used to build that, and then 40 other cottages or two-bedroom houses. And this is what's really unique and what I love about this program. 20 of those cottages are rental, probably in the range of $1,000, well below market value. Um, The other 20 are a shared equity program because we want teachers to live in our community permanently. And so it's trying to help them get that savings for the down payment. Five years in the home, and then they need to move on, but then they would walk away with a $50,000 check because they've paid towards the principal and the interest. And so that's the shared equity piece of that. While it may seem novel to us, it it really has been proven to be a successful program, and many other districts are looking at it across the nation. State Senator Joshua Bryant has constituents inside the school district. He says they first reached out to him shortly after a presentation was brought to the school board. Just wanted me to be aware that the, the school system was considering this as an option to uh, conquer the challenge of affordable housing for Northwest Arkansas. When looking at the things he liked and the things that made him apprehensive— Senator Bryant says it's mostly the latter for him. Here we have a school that is going to get into the business of affordable housing. And that kind of concerns me, not not from the business aspect, that there's plenty of developers that are also competing in that market for business, uh, but also that these are our education dollars. And I honestly didn't think it would be legal that a school district could donate land, which has a, a value, a commodity value, to donate it to a nonprofit for the purpose of housing. I thought it had to stay just in education. Arkansas Attorney General Tim Griffin was asked about the legality of this back in September. He wrote in an opinion that, yes, it was legal for a school district to donate real property for these purposes. Of course, Senator Bryant knows that to be the case now, but he says he's still leery of the plan. I think it still falls back to you know, this, this is land that was bought for for the purposes of education. And if we are going to move outside of the purpose of education, are we going to do so in a manner that still supports education and, and what the tax dollars are meant to support? So, again, I, I, will, I will probably never align with using education dollars for housing. But I think it's important that we took it to and continue to take it to Little Rock to make sure that the, the citizens of Arkansas 
try to wrap their head around if they want education dollars used for affordable housing. Senator Bryant brought this to the House and Senate Education Committees recently, and legislators were concerned. Representative Stephen Meeks of Greenbrier said, quote, If we had to vote to approve this, I'd be a hard no on this. Representative Ron McNair of Harrison said, quote, Because we can do something doesn't necessarily mean we should do something. School board president Kelly Carlson disagrees. From my standpoint, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but unless you're living in Northwest Arkansas and and shoulder to shoulder with our staff, with our parents and our kids, uh, that opinion has a little less uh, validity in this case. I think if this is the right thing to do, we should do it. And that's what uh, Dr. Jones and her team brought to the board and and the board uh, voted on it because we all thought it was the right thing to do. It's going to have a positive impact to our staff and ultimately our district. Another concern Senator Bryant raises is around budget allocation. You know, when that revenue stream went up for the school district, because the area is so attractive and the market is so hot right now, and that revenue went up $10 million, because they they do that in these school districts. I know that the counties alone, their budgets have, have gone up tremendously. And they're making those choices to build nicer buildings to build nicer sporting facilities instead of accommodate the wages for their teachers. Because, you know, they look at wages as a recurring cost. They look at it as a building as a one-time expense with some maintenance. And so those boards and those governing bodies are making those decisions to do that. And I would say the more that we let the free market play out, the more those boards will realize, hey, we, it's no longer a living wage. We have to increase it 20 30%. Carlson notes that salaries are far and away the largest line item expense in the district's budget. About 75% of that is is personnel expense. So there's not a lot of room to make cuts. Uh, And when you look back uh, to Northwest Arkansas and the Bentonville community, the Bentonville School District's average home price is about $450,000. Uh, The starting salary for teachers is $50,000 now, which is great, and that means they can afford about a $200,000 home. So there's not homes that they can afford, but that's not uncommon when you come out of school that you can't go out and buy a house. I completely get that, and most of the board understands that as well. But there's been studies done that it takes teachers three times as long to save up for a down payment. So if you're having to save a 20% down payment on a $450,000 house, that's $90,000. Jones was also quick to point out that a teacher's boss will not also be their landlord. We are not experts in running property. Accelerate will do that. All the district does, once we've developed the agreement, we have the deed restrictions, and so we have all of the rules set up, then they run the program. And all they will do is verify this staff member is employed with your school district. And so we do have to verify that. Other than that, it is a management company that runs a property. You've mentioned that... There are other places maybe within Arkansas who are looking at you kind of as a as a trailblazer a bit in this world of, of someone who can help kind of work out the kinks and can kind of go through the things that might be difficult about this so that they too can do this sort of thing. Have you heard specifically from other superintendents and what advice would you give them in this process? Yes, I have heard from other superintendents. My friend in Mariana was before you even voted on it as a board, he was calling and saying, how do we get this? And I said, well, you need a foundation that serves your needs in your area. And so we, we realized we're very fortunate in having that. 
but we will share. Um, when you talk about being trailblazers, we share everything, our lessons learned along the way, because the bottom line is the better students perform, then the better Arkansas is. And we really are all in this together. And we want to support districts as much as we can, because many times we have to reach out to them and ask for advice. And so this definitely is a unified effort. The Benville School Board voted in November to approve the plan by a vote of 5 to 1. Details on when construction and move-in will begin are still to be determined. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Matthew Moore. Ahead on the show, the latest production at Theater Squared is pretty timely. I have never worked on a show where every morning I wake up and I look at the newspaper and go, oh my gosh, that article, that article, that article, that article, that article are all discussing what is going on in this play. A conversation with the folks behind what the Constitution means to me in about 15 minutes on Ozarks at Large. Another day in Arkansas, another ballot measure has been approved by the Attorney General. Tim Griffin has approved a proposed amendment regarding the Freedom of Information Act. Now, this comes just a day after the Arkansas Citizens for Transparency filed suit against the Attorney General for refusing to certify the language of their title. The group has submitted both a proposed amendment to the Constitution and an initiated act. The lawsuit is regarding the latter. David Couch is an attorney and member of ACT. He says they will begin collecting signatures for the proposed amendment, but they'll likely follow through on the lawsuit for now. It's not moot. Um, it's still live because, you know, each submission is something that, you know, belongs to the, the people. And so it's different than the third. The second is different than the third. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to balance, the, you know, the, the protecting the, the principle and protecting the preferred measure versus practicality. Over the weekend, Attorney General Griffin was a guest on KARK's Capital View with Roby Brock, where he said, quote, When reviewing proposed ballot initiatives, I follow an 80-year-old process. The law does not allow me to consider my own personal views. I am guided by the law and the law alone. I routinely certify proposals I personally oppose. Conversely, I routinely reject proposals I personally support. Couch says he's not surprised by that response. That's what he is supposed to do, but in practice, that's not what he actually has done. Um, you're right. The attorney general has a very limited role in this process. And and then you can look at the rejection letters from us, and he specifically says your text of the amendment is wrong, and he required us to rewrite the text of the amendment. So, you know, that's a great, wonderful-sounding soundbite, but it's just not what he's actually did in practice. This proposed amendment is now the third one that Griffin has approved. The group can now begin collecting signatures for the final process to get the measure on the ballot this November. 
Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. I'm Paul Gatling. Next week, Brent Williams becomes the next dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business at the University of Arkansas. He has been the Walton College interim dean since August. We will hear from Williams on today's show. Plus, Walmart plans to close its technology and business innovation unit, store number eight. And New Urbanism is inspiring a 272-unit apartment complex in Springdale. Those stories are coming your way after the break on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. More at ArkansasStateChamber.com. Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield. For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Live fearless. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com. First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas, and it shows in your banking experience. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. That's because First Security is 100% focused on serving customers all across the state and nowhere else. It's local banking with local commitment. First Security. Bank better. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. Brent Williams becomes the next dean of the Walton College of Business at the University of Arkansas on February 1st. A native of Newport in northeast Arkansas, Williams was a graduate student at the Walton College and later taught supply chain at TCU and Auburn before joining the Walton College faculty in 2011. He became an associate dean in 2016 and was appointed interim dean this past summer following the departure of Matt Waller. In a recent interview, I asked Williams what it means to lead the business school at the state's flagship university and what makes the Walton College stand out. This means a lot to me personally. Um, this, the Walton College and the University of Arkansas have been a huge part of my life. And then, you know, I just feel like this business school and this university hold a special place within the state. So to get to lead it uh, is, as you can imagine, quite an honor for me and something I, I, uh, I really take very, very seriously, the, I guess, the role of the institution, both on campus in Northwest Arkansas and throughout the state. What makes um, the Walton College stand out from other institutions? Where does it make its greatest impact, both on the campus and, and, and elsewhere, throughout the region and throughout the state, like you mentioned? Yeah, you know, when I think about the college, well, one, I think about, I think about the name, and it's a, it's a pretty special name uh, that is on this college of business. Uh, Sam Walton, of course, as we all know, was, you know, maybe the greatest uh, entrepreneur ever. And to have that name associated with our business school, um, that differentiates us in itself. Uh, and then, you know, we have, we have grown substantially in the Walton College, along with the university, 
but becoming, uh, you know, by some measures at least, the, the largest college on campus. Mm-hmm. We've, we've grown fast. We've added many different types of programs that we think are preparing both our undergraduate and graduate students for not only today, but, but hopefully the future. And, you know, delivering a, an experience that is uh, well-rounded, practical in nature, great faculty here. You know, so I probably could keep going on and on, but those are certainly some of the things that I think differentiate us. And then, you know, we're well-known in a few areas. Uh, one is supply chain management and, you know, where we've been ranked uh, number one for several years in supply chain management in the undergraduate program. and fairly recently number two in the graduate program. And when I think about that program in particular, I think about how well that fits with our region and our state, uh, where we lead in supply chain in many ways. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of synergy happening between those kinds of programs. Our entrepreneurship program has been absolutely on the rise over the last several years. And there's many other programs uh, that, that I could be talking about. Those are just a couple of the ones that, that stand out in my mind right now. Yeah, like you said, a lot, a lot happening on the positive side of the ledger at the Walton College. What are some of your goals and, um, and priorities that you want to contribute to Walton College as you become the new dean? Do you have a, um, a to-do list for your first 90 days or anything like that? Just what's on your, your, your agenda? I should- I sure do. Um, well, and I will say, as I as I started the interim appointment in the summer, you know, I really had a couple of key priorities, and many of these were continuing to build upon what we had been doing. And uh, one was when I think about our undergraduate experience, I think we increasingly want it to be experiential. Uh, so more experiential aspects to an undergraduate's four years here. You know, and that includes, that includes experiential opportunities inside the classroom, there's no doubt. But it's all the other pieces around that classroom experience that I think can uh, provide the student really, you know, what they need to be successful. And one of the, one of the biggest for me has been internships and encouraging you know, not only our students, and every chance I get, I encourage our students to take advantage of internships, but as I get to be out and talking with all of our corporate partners and alumni, you know, I, I say one of the very first things you can do for us is, one, hire our students, and then also consider internships because it's a place where our students give you immediate value. Uh, but they get so much value when they're getting that experience, and then that goes right alongside what's happening in the classroom. And so when students can learn and apply and learn and apply, I, I just think it's the best of both worlds. So that's been a real focus for me this year. Um, also a focus on um, helping our departments and the college uh, grow their graduate programs. One thing we focused on so much over the last several years has been standing up specialized graduate programs that we think meets the needs of industry both in our area and throughout the state. Uh, programs like uh, our product innovation program, economics analytics, healthcare analytics, supply chain. I, I could keep going, but really helping 
helping our programs uh, grow those programs, get the resources they need to continue to keep them cutting edge has been another of the priorities for me this year. And really now uh, with the permanent appointment, uh, I get a chance to look a little further out and look at uh, probably about a five-year horizon and immediately start gathering together our plan for what we want to accomplish over the next five years. So I look forward to doing that in the next couple of months. That's Brent Williams, who begins his appointment February 1st as Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business at the University of Arkansas. We'll have some more of that conversation on the Sunday edition of the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report right here on Ozarks at Large. In other news this week, Walmart is shutting down its Technology and Business Innovation Unit, store number 8, according to an internal memo reported first by the Wall Street Journal. Store number 8 was responsible for innovations such as Walmart's in-home delivery service and text and voice shopping. The retailer said developing future innovations will be a shared responsibility across the organization. Rogers-based ERC Construction Group is partnering with Tradewind Properties, that's a Texas real estate company, to build a 272-unit multifamily project in Springdale. The 14-acre site is north of a Walmart supercenter at the Elm Springs Road exit west of Interstate 49. Fayetteville architect Rob Sharp, who specializes in new urbanism and walkable communities, is leading the design work. Pickett Construction of Fayetteville is the general contractor. And Mercy has entered a joint venture with LifePoint Rehabilitation of Tennessee to operate a rehab hospital in Rogers. The 36-room facility opened four years ago as Everest Rehabilitation Hospital. It is now named Mercy Rehabilitation Hospital, Northwest Arkansas. You will find details of all of those stories and more at nwabusinessjournal.com, where you can follow our reporting each and every day. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is Ozarks at Large. Theater Squared's production of What the Constitution Means to Me began last night and will last through March 3rd. Written by Heidi Schreck, the work examines the author's relationship to the Constitution as a 15-year-old high school debater and as an adult. Yesterday, Kelsey Venter, the actor portraying Heidi, and Amy Herzberg, the production's director, came to the Carver Center for Public Radio. Amy says the timing for this staging is perfect. I have never worked on a show where every morning I wake up and I look at the newspaper and go, oh my gosh, that article, that article, that article, that article, that article are all discussing what is going on in this play. And I have never seen the word constitution show up so often in what is happening in the current day and time as it is right now. And so it feels like some sort of perfect storm of topics that are coming together, both in what's happening nationally, what's happening locally, and what's happening in this play. The play is written and I think was first performed by Heidi, right? That's correct, yeah. Okay. So do you think about, okay, I don't want this to just be my version Mm -hmm. of Heidi. I want to bring 
something different, something Kelsey to the mm-hmm. role? Yeah. Um, I, uh, one of the things that really struck me the first time that I saw her her doing the play was I felt like, oh, my God, she's uh, me. Like, I relate so much to not just, like, not just the things that she's talking about within this show, although that was that was very impactful. She said a lot of things in this play that I had thought or felt but had not been able to verbalize myself that I kind of felt uh, it was just me. And then she's saying them. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not alone. Like, yes. But I also really responded to just her energy and her, her like, essence. She She's so... She's so outgoing and she's so engaging and she's so likable, just inherently likable. Um, and I felt very drawn in by that. And I had a lot of friends who, when I said that I was doing this play, they're like, oh, my God, you are Heidi. Like, this is this is perfect. This is a perfect fit. So uh, that is it's definitely something that I'm I'm I feel like we have a lot in common. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm bringing a lot of myself to this role, too. It's not it's not a, a far stretch. <laughs> You know, there are scripts that show us how, as we are different ages, we might relate differently to love or to work. This one shows how you might change or how you think of this very important, very personal document, the Constitution. It's one thing to debate and talk about it when you're 15. It's another when you're, you know, twice that age or older. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that's kind of like very much struck me in 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 process preparing for this play in rehearsal is is sort of like meeting moments in the show that as a younger person or as as someone who who hadn't like looked at these topics in in the way that I'm looking at them now things that I kind of took for granted or that that had just become very normalized within me that when when facing it in the context of this play i'm really i'm really seeing how messed up it is that it's become normalized and that i've just sort of like walked through the world for 39 years feeling like this was okay and normal and normal and and having it sort of laid out in the in the terms that Heidi is laying some of these things out in it's it's disturbing it's like things that we're just used to or that that feel like by the way are really problematic and really challenging that uh, I think that's one of the beautiful parts about this play is that it it brings up these topics in a way that we can discuss them. But because she is so engaging and so optimistic and so hopeful, it doesn't feel like a huge downer the whole time. It it's a feels like a really rich bed for conversation. How do you make sure that happens? That that while we're in this production, we are engaged because we are so we. I think we're so politicized now that, you, you know, within the five, first five minutes uh, in the audience, we're not putting up armor like, oh, I don't like that or I don't want to talk about that. Well, my first uh, super great way of addressing that is having cast Kelsey <laughs> because she is so engaging and so incredibly likable and so optimistic. I mean, she really is a perfect fit. And I wanted to say that I saw a lot of wonderful auditions and it was always challenging. But when I saw Kelsey's audition, I was like, that's it for me. Um, so uh, that's my first uh, superpower is Kelsey. Um, the second thing is that it really is a 
charmingly funny script, and there is so much humor, and there's so much fun, and looking at Heidi when she was her 15-year-old self, and the way she's so, so in love with the Constitution, and then remembering that when we've been in love with something, we still kind of always want to be in love with it, you know what I mean? So being able to trace that love and that passion throughout the entire piece brings us to a very hopeful, positive, optimistic thing, while also discussing some challenging things, um, but kind of in it together, you know what I mean? And I've uh, thought about this not as what the Constitution means to me, but that we should all be asking what the Constitution means to each of us individually. But here's a document that means so much to us, whether we implicitly know what it says or we have this sort of vague relationship with it but much of it's old and we've changed a lot and that's something that comes up in this in this production oh absolutely like like how how what was written 200 years ago relates to today and uh, one of the things that comes up in the play that that really strikes me is how those things are interpreted in today's world like like some of them I feel like it's on paper and to me it reads this way very clearly but there are different interpretations of how that is read based on how it was 200 years ago that I think that's a point that can get a little challenging a little sticky in in modern day in preparing for this did either of you find something in the constitution that made you tilt your head and go huh I hadn't thought about it or that's interesting (laughs) Maybe everything that's in the Constitution (laughs) makes me feel that way. Because of the lens of seeing it now and in everything that is going on today, like I don't think that this would be as incredibly motivating and fascinating of a piece if we were not looking at it through strongly through today's lens of what was written so long ago and how that continues to be interpreted. In fact, oh, do you mind? Will you do uh, Heidi, the 15-year-old Heidi's first line is? Oh, the Constitution is a living document. (laughs) And that is true. And seeing how it lives right now and thinking of it that way as opposed to thinking of it as this thing, you know, that was written uh, so very long ago has been a fascinating exploration. Anything not in the Constitution that you thought, oh, that's odd that it's not there? That the word woman isn't in the Constitution. Yes. Anywhere. Anywhere at all. And like, yikes. Oh, no. Militia's in there. (laughs) (laughs) It surely is. It surely is. Quartering is in there, but not woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not anywhere in the entire document does the word woman appear once. Mm -hmm. There is, I want people to go to the Theater Squared website because there's this wonderful sort of guide uh, asking you questions, Amy, asking other people questions and getting, I I imagine it's written for maybe students who might be going or all of us. Students and all of us. Yeah. Anybody who is thinking about the Constitution and asking themselves questions about it right now, which I hope is everyone. And um, oh, will you talk about how you, uh, one of the founders of her uh, oh, yeah. speech and debate club in high school, please talk about this. Yeah. So when I was in high school, my my school didn't have a speech and debate team when I started. And in my, I think it was my sophomore year, our theater teacher 
founded a speech and debate team, and I was one of the the founding members and one of the the only female to go to state that year. Of of group of like there were like six of us, little scrappy things like we're gonna do this speech and debate, and within 10 years now that the high school has this like very thriving successful speech and debate program and um funny tidbit you don't know this yet but one of my speech and debate partners was alex smith of quarterback fame yeah so we did once once a kansas city chief yes yeah he was the quarterback before patrick mahomes that's correct so so alex and i did um duo interpretation together we did like a little piece together and then he he was on the speech team as well and gave advocacy speeches about the over he's talked about this in in interviews but on how sports players are overpaid (laughs) which is it's i mean he's a wonderful orator as well so but yeah so we were we were a part of the the very first speech and debate team at helix high school in san diego california do you ever think about that when you're on stage that you'll also be inspired i mean you Uh, you've helped inspire a program at your high school but you can also be inspiring people out in the audience i hope so that i mean that that is actually one of the things that really drew me to theater and performing in general at first was i had that experience as a as a young child being in the audience of like wow this is an amazing thing and in my adulthood and in my young adulthood i feel like that is a skill set that i have that i've developed and and want to use in service of of like helping others progress and this play that's one of the things that really drew me to it is is before auditioning for this i was really looking for a way that i could have an impact uh more than just like in theater singing and dancing but like have an impact like i didn't know quite how to get involved i felt a little bit limited by like my skill set I'm, I'm an actor what can i do and then this play which is like aligns with so many of the things that I feel deeply about, that I feel like it's important to get the discussion going, to get people in aware of some of these things that are going on. And so it just felt like a really perfect meeting of my unique skill set and my desire to like affect change and be a part of a, a bigger conversation. You know, last time you were in the studio, Amy, we were talking about how Christmas Carol is one of those productions that can draw people into theater mm-hmm. for the first time in a long time or ever. It feels like this one might be that kind of production as well. It is so of the moment that I think anybody who is thinking about and trying to kind of wrestle with what is going on in our country right now and the future of our country and how that both affects us and how we might affect it um, will want to see this play. It is um, a motivating, uplifting, funny, sit together and feel big stuff with the people you're next to. And the other thing about it that I so love is um, these kids. We we have two people who are cast as the debater, two amazing young high school students, and they'll trade off every other performance. And they are so inspiring. We adore them so much. They are funny and witty and smart and driven. And um, when you see their work and you experience how this play is set up with them coming in at the end, you cannot help but feel this optimism for our future and this incredible joy and love uh, for what the possibilities are. And so that is something that I think we could all use a big dose of right now. 
any way you can extend this run through the first Wednesday in November then? <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> Let me just talk with Kelsey for just a moment. I love those health weeks. Sure. Amy, Kelsey, oh, thank you both so much for coming in. Can't wait to see it. Thank, thank you, you so much. Kelsey Venter is Heidi in the Theater Square production of Heidi Shrek's What the Constitution Means to Me. Amy Herzberg is the director. They talked with me yesterday in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. This is Leo Uribe, Professor of Music and Associate Dean at the University of Arkansas Fulbright College of Arts and Sciences, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Pentimeter. We open Sound Pentimeter today with Piotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky and his Symphony No. 4, Second Movement, and Dantino in Modo di Canzone. This movement opens with one of the most beautiful oboe solos in the Romantic Symphonic Repertoire. In a letter to his patron, Nadezhda von Meck, Tchaikovsky describes this second movement by saying, You feel nostalgic for the past, yet no compulsion to start life over again. Life has wearied you. It is pleasant to pause and weigh things up. As the movement continues, the oboe is contrasted by the strings and its nostalgic theme followed by outbursts of hope. Let us continue listening to this melancholic, simple, and reflective movement performed by the Frankfurt Radio Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Carlos Miguel Prieto.
That was an excerpt from Russian composer Pyotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky's Fourth Symphony, Second Movement, and Dantino in Modo di Canzone, performed by the Frankfurt Radio Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Carlos Miguel Prieto. There is something unique about double reed instruments. In the Western tradition, the oboe and the bassoon play important roles in orchestral and chamber music, adding rich colors to the ensemble with their characteristic timbres. Naturally, the repertoire and the role of these instruments in music has evolved with time, as new voices emerge, and in this evolution, sometimes older ideas become new. Those enchanting melodies from Tchaikovsky's Fourth Symphony from our opening piece today were taken to another level by composer Elisa Morris in her work for oboe, bassoon, and piano, Up and Away, The Story of a Balloon a piece written in 2014. On this work's second movement, Life on a String, the composer plays around with Tchaikovsky's theme, pairing it with other well-known melodies from the classical repertoire and contrasting it with virtuosic jazzy music that connects the past with the present. This movement is about teenage years and angst, The balloon wants to prove that it has its own ideas and plays between molds and expectation and freedom and improvisation. Let us listen to American composer Elisa Morris' Up and Away, second movement, Life on a String, interpreted by Pedro Falcón Oboe, Alexandra Castro Bassoon, and Faranelia Guerrero Piano. Thank you. 
That was Alisa Morris' Up and Away second movement, live on a string, interpreted by Pedro Falcón Oboe, Alexandra Castro Bassoon, and Fanarelia Guerrero Piano. In the ever-evolving world of music, older ideas often find new life and add a refreshing twist to tradition. Today in Sound Perimeter, we listen to excerpts of two pieces separated by more than 100 years and many, many miles. Nostalgia and innovation, where the echoes of the past resonate with a modern audience, creating a profound sense of continuity and reinvigorated conventions. Learn more about the pieces and composers in our show notes. This is Leo Uribe, Professor of Music and Associate Dean at the University of Arkansas Fulbright College of Arts and Sciences, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. Sound Perimeter is a show written and hosted by me, KUAF 91.3 in Fayetteville, Arkansas. This segment is dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it will expand your knowledge and connection to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. I'll see you soon. Matthew produced today's Ozarks at Large inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Contributors to our show today include Paul Gatling and Leo Ribe. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF, and KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Also, shout-out to Stephanie Brock, who helped with production today, and Daryl Sean, who wrote and performs our theme music titled The First Hurrah. That's right. Um, Kyle, here's a question for you. Mm -hmm. Um, When you were talking about the radio station, do you say KUAF 91.3 or do you say 91.3 KUAF? Does it matter? Legally, it doesn't (laughs) matter. Um, That's good. I think it probably depends how I'm saying it and where I'm saying it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I I imagine listeners are curious about this sort of thing. 91.3 KUAF. I think I probably lead with the number more often than Mm. not. I tend to lead with with the letters first. I don't think... Again, I don't think it matters. However you listen, thank you for listening. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Callums. Walton Arts Center presents Damn Tall Buildings, bringing their bluegrass and American roots-inspired music to West Street Live, Thursday, February 1st. And on Friday, February 2nd, Brian Blade and the Fellowship Band bring their jazz and gospel-rooted sound to the Starlight Jazz Club Series. Tickets at waltonartscenter.org. Little Wing Productions presents Los Lobos, coming to City Auditorium in Eureka Springs with special guest The Brothers Moore, March 9th. Los Lobos, known for songs like One Time, One Night and their 1987 version of La Bamba. Tickets go on sale this Friday, January 26th at tickets.thundertix.com.